And if you have not been with us for these past three weeks, uh, what we first started out with is I need love for my spouse. You know, we had Donna Pyle up here, and she talked about how much love uh, we, we need and how we continue to need it from our relationships, from the people that we trust most. And then the two weeks after that, we talked about how we need love from our families, you know, our parents, our kids, things like that. And this week, we're talking about how I need love from my God. And as I started looking at this and, and thinking through what that is, uh, I realized that culturally, we probably all have a very different view of love than even the people sitting right next to you. Um, so much so that I, I, I think, I feel pretty confident in this, if I were to have each of you write down, you know, and cover up your paper, don't let people cheat, like we're back in third grade, testing time, put up your folders, uh, if you were to write down your definition of love, it would be very different. We'd probably have 120 different views of love that come to me right now. Uh, and the reason for that is our culture produces an image of love that's, that's not really what God had intended for us. And so I thought, you know what, let, let's, let's try to dive into that more. Let's see where the confusion could be. And so as I was thinking about it, what hit me first is television creates its own image of love. And, and just to give you a little bit of insight into my life, um, Liz and I are very exciting people. Uh, we do a lot of really cool things as a married couple. In fact, every day after work, usually we come home, we make dinner, and then we sit in front of the TV. <laughs> and we oftentimes will watch shows together, and we enjoy those. Uh, but there are a couple shows that we watch separately because some of Liz's shows are really bad. Uh, and, and so she watches those without me. <laughs> and one of those shows has this image of love that it tries to promote, it tries to create for everybody to see. Uh, and it is so bad, I've seen it a couple times, that when I walk into the apartment, it's turned off. Uh, it, is, it is awful. And I'm sure some of you watch it, and it's either The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And what it is, is it's, it's a, either a guy or a girl is sitting there dating 12 guys or 12 girls trying to figure out what true love looks like. And what it does is it creates this image of conditional love. I'm going to love you so long as you can give me this. I'm going to love you as long as you don't turn out to be as crazy as everybody, all the rest of these girls are saying you are. I'm going to love you so long as you're willing to do the things that you want, whatever the secret passion room or whatever that garbage is. But The Bachelor creates an image of love that is unrealistic and untrue for what God is giving to us. But there's more. So back when I was in third, fourth, and fifth grade, I'm not sure exactly, but it was around that age, uh, I am one of ten cousins. Uh, and I was the only cousin who lived outside of the state of Michigan for most of my childhood. And all the rest of my cousins, for the most part, grew up in the same neighborhood in uh, eastern Detroit. And so when we would go visit them, inevitably we'd end up spending the night at each other's houses. Uh, and I have one cousin who is just a month younger than me, so we're almost the exact same age. And we went through a phase where... If any of our parents ever went shopping, that night, we would sneak downstairs. Usually it was one of us, but occasionally it was two. We'd sneak downstairs, we'd grab a spoon, we'd open the fridge, and we'd take out that brand new tub of butter. And we'd be the first ones to just take a dollop right out of there, and we'd just eat it. We thought it was awesome. We thought it was so great. We loved it so much so that we talked about it constantly. Like, we just would continue to talk about how much we loved butter, how awesome it was, how great it was. Terrible for us, but in that moment, it was awesome, and we loved it. Is that the same love that The Bachelor's trying to create? It's a little different. And then as I continued to think more about love, I thought about, you know, my dear little, little captain. And captain is my dog. Uh, he is a, a pit bull um, visually, but on paper he is a Labrador retriever because our vet was nice, so he's allowed in our apartment. Uh, and 
I love Captain. But sometimes Captain kind of sucks uh, because Captain has this thing where between the hours of like 5 and 7 o'clock, doesn't matter if he's alone for an hour or five minutes, he will rip something up. I don't know why, why it's between those hours. There was one day that Liz had to leave for a meeting and 15 minutes later I came home, he had ripped something up in those 15 minutes. Like, he's a jerk. Uh, but I still love him. Is that the kind of love that I would have for butter? Is that the kind of love that The Bachelor's trying to create? Is that the kind of love that God has for you? Is it based on the things that we do? Is it conditional? Is it based on whether or not it's good for us or not? And then if you continue to think about the different things and the different people that we love, you know, I love Liz, I love my wife, I love my car, I love, you know, my job, I love the people that I get to work with, I love the, the community that I'm in, even if you do send me those emails that I don't read, you know, please continue to share your comments with us. We love them. <laughs> now, we, we love so many different things in so many different ways. But is that the love that God has for you? Is that the love that you need from God? To help try to figure out what all this was, because in the, in the English language, we use one word. We use love. And it's expected to mean a million different things. The Greeks had seven words. And they are listed for you on the screen here. And so the four words on the left are actually in Scripture. The Bible talks about them. And the ones on the right are not. And they're kind of junky. But we'll talk about what all of them are. So first off, you have eros. Eros is known as romantic love. It's the love between a man and a woman. It's the love that, that starts off a relationship that could either result in marriage or lust. But it's that romantic attraction, that emotional feeling, that thing that gives you butterflies in your stomach that eventually leads into a much longer and sustained relationship. Romantic love. Then you have philia. And hopefully you kind of recognize that name a little bit, similar to Philadelphia. That's brotherly love. That's the idea is you're supposed to love your friends. You know, they're great people. We love this. We love being a part of this group. And then very similar to Philia, you have storge. Storge would be the familial love. You know, I love my kids. I love my brother. I love my grandma. I love my mom. I love my dad, everything. And the only place that storge is actually used in Scripture is Romans 12.10, and it's in combination with Philia, and it's in order to describe how you're supposed to interact with your Christian brothers and sisters. You're supposed to love them like brothers and sisters, you know, kind of keeping them together, but at the same time like a family, being willing to call those people out for the dumb things that they're doing in love and in kindness. And then we have agape. And agape is also known as God's love or unconditional love, the type of love all of us are called to have for one another but inevitably fall short because of the sin that constantly skews our view of love and how we can love other people and how other people love us. And then we get into the three that aren't in Scripture. The first one is, is a good one, pragma. And what that is, is that's long-term love. That's the type of love that a couple who's been married for 30, 40, 50 plus years would have. It's maybe not as, as on fire as it once was when they were first experiencing eros, but it's one that comes with mutual respect, mutual care for one another, wanting the other one to have as much as they possibly can, and to just continue to support them forever. Then we get philautia. And what that is, is that's self-love. That's narcissism. That's selfishness. That's self-centeredness. It is nothing but sinful love. All you care about is yourself. What can I get from other people? Great. That's all I need. What can I get from this situation? Awesome. I'm done. You have no concern for anyone else. And then the last one is ludus. 
And that kind of love can be best described as friends with benefits. There's no emotion connected to it. It's purely about the physical. It's what I can get from someone else, what they can get from me, and we're friends, and that's it. And any psychologist nowadays will tell you that is not an accurate version of love. But in the Greeks, they did the same thing we do today. They had their own version of the hookup culture where it was just no strings attached. But in all of these versions of love, in all seven of these words that we have up here, I did not once find a definition that described my love for butter. I did not once find a definition for the love that I have for my dog. In fact, I have to kind of combine and push together some of these in order to find the love that the bachelor and the bachelorette are trying to promote. All that to say, no one has been able to sum up exactly what the love that we're supposed to be showing to others and that God shows to us is. Agape is as close as you can possibly get, but it's a love that we have never actually seen because the sin that we continue to be sucked into pulls us away from ever being able to show or experience that. The closest we have is a description of what God has done for us. But in order to understand this description, what we have to understand is our version of love that we have come to know that we've either been tainted with by culture or been shown by the different television shows or different things that we think are right is to understand that God's love is going to look completely different. If you remember back to our very first week, if you take your experience for love or if we take Donna's experience of love and apply it to God, well then, we're just waiting for the day that God turns out to be this, this double-lived kind of jerk who's really just been lying to us the whole time. Or if you take it uh, similar to, to some of us who grew up without fathers, you hear about how God is your heavenly father, and yet the only experience you have is someone who abandoned you, someone who left you. Or if you use it from the perspective of your kids, you're just waiting for that day when your kid inevitably tells you, you know what? You were a terrible parent. I want nothing to do with you. You're just waiting for the day that your kids abandon you and leave you. The point is our culture's view of love is so based on conditions that all we can wait for and all we can think of is when is that love going to fizzle out? Or when is it going to melt away? Or when is my relationship going to fall apart like Greg and Kelly or whatever their name is on The Bachelor? We're stuck in this mindset of seeing love as this finite thing when in fact what God has to show you is, is forever. It's infinite, and it's unlike anything we've ever been able to see or experience. And so in order to be able to understand God's love, there's really kind of two areas you can look to. And the first one is His first concrete, standard version of love, where He showed you, this is what I'm willing to do for you. This is what I'm willing to give to you. This is what I want to make sure that when you look at it, you understand this is me giving absolutely everything to show you how much you mean to me. And that comes to us in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so what we have there is, is we have this Bible verse pointing us directly back to the cross pointing us directly back to what God did for us 2,000 years ago, pointing us back to the fact that when Jesus came and lived among you, He lived exactly your life so that He could experience exactly what you experience, so He could see the love that this world tries to promote and see how it continues to fall apart. 
to experience the same brokenness and the same grossness and the same disgusting things that we go through. And he planted it on a cross and declared his love for each and every one of us. And in reality, you would think that should be enough. But then Satan gets a hold of it. And what Satan tries to do is he tries to take this love that God showed to you on the cross and he tries to twist it into such a way to make you think back to all those ugly things that happened before. He tries to make you think back to that divorce. He tries to make you think back to when your kids said they'd never talk to you again. He tries to think back to when your parents disappointed you again and you just cut them off completely. He takes you back to all the broken and sinful moments and then tries to again point you back to the cross to say, that's the same love Jesus has for you. Or he twists it and he tries to make you feel, well, if those things are happening to you, well, then God must not love you. If this sort of situation continues to pop up, that must mean God has no idea what's going on in your life and he doesn't really care. You were one of 12 and you didn't get a rose. Satan only wants you to be focused on your issues. He doesn't want you to see the love that he showed you on the cross. He doesn't want you to see what Christ did for you. He only wants you to see the mess that you continue to be a part of, whether it's your fault or someone else's. But God doesn't stop there. God doesn't just leave it as one act, as one thing, as one opportunity to show you how much he loves you. He continues to use everything around you. He continues to use every one of your experiences. How many of you guys like cake? Those of you whose hands are not up? I know you're lying. We all like cake. We all love our own kind of cake. Some of you like carrot cake, some of you like chocolate cake, some of you like vanilla cake. Personally, I'm a funfetti cake guy. I think it's awesome, and so I like to imagine that this cake is funfetti cake. But if you imagine this cake is the plan that God has for your life, most of you, except for the liars, like cake. But how many of you would eat the ingredients that it takes to make a cake by themselves? How many of you know what ingredients go into cake? Good, okay. Um, the very first thing I heard after 8 o'clock was that I didn't have flour, so hopefully you're okay with that. Sugar. Sugar goes into cake. And if you think about what God is doing in your life, sugar can represent those sweet moments. Maybe it was when you graduated high school. Maybe it was when you graduated college. Maybe it was when you first got married. Maybe it was that first kid. Maybe it was the first time you recognized how much God actually loves you. Maybe it was the first time you walked into your church and just felt at home. Maybe it was the first home you ever bought, the first car you ever got, the awesome and wonderful things that we get to experience right here. The sweet, awesome moments that are so easy to swallow and we wish could be everything that is our lives. But what else does it take to make a cake other than sugar? A whole lot of gross stuff. How many of you have ever had raw eggs? Okay, I saw a hand almost go up. All right, we're not sure there. That's okay. Yeah, okay. Is it good? No. The correct answer is no. <laughs> it is not good. All right, these, uh, you don't want to swallow these whole. If I were to just crack these open and leave them in this bowl and then give it over here to Becca, she's not going to drink it. All right, it's disgusting. And yet, your life will sometimes look like raw eggs where you're not really sure what happened. You just got broken open and everything spilled out all over everywhere. 
and you're forced to have to deal with it. You may not want to, but this is a part of your life. Then we get things like molasses, maybe a little sweeter, but still pretty gross. Then you get baking soda, basically poison if you just eat it by itself, but it still goes into cake. You get things like oil, which there was someone in the first service who straight up drank oil. I had never heard of that. If someone in here has done it, I don't want to know. I don't care. But the point is, all of these things go into making that cake, plus flour. All of these things go into making up the experiences in your life. And what you may notice here is only one of them is solid. Only one of them is sweet. Only one of them is probably pretty enjoyable. And there's quite a bit of sugar that goes into cake. But sin has provided us with so many other experiences that leaves a bad taste in our mouth, that maybe hurts us in the long term, that maybe doesn't make us feel very good as, after we're dealing with it. And yet God still uses each and every one of these experiences in order to create you into something that He had intended for you. Our primary verse I want you to walk home with today is Romans 8, verse 28. And what it says is, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And that is exactly what these ingredients are all about. You see, God does not say, everything in your life is going to be good. You believe in me? Awesome. Here's a car. Here's a house. Here's money. Here's everything you could ever want, ever. What God says is, in all things that you experience, good, bad, or just dumb and indifferent and don't matter for anything, I'm going to use every one of those experiences in order to prepare you for something great. I'm going to use every one of those experiences in order to help you accomplish the purpose that I have laid out for you since the beginning of time. And some of those experiences are going to be great, but some of those experiences are going to be pretty rough. Some of those experiences, you will have no idea what possible purpose they could have. I don't really know how baking soda works, but God does. And if you think about these things, there are some things in your life that you think can be so sweet, and they turn out to be the worst. I was engaged before I ever met Liz. I had my whole life planned out ahead of me, and I thought it was going to be pretty sweet. But then God allowed an experience to come into my life where it very quickly turned into something I wanted nothing to do with and it fell apart. But if it had not been for that experience, if it had not been for God's love blending all of those things together, I never would have been driven to Texas. I never would have thought that I maybe had something different in mind or God had something different in mind for me that drove me to the vicarage that I had out in Colorado. And if I hadn't been driven to that vicarage in Colorado, I never would have had the opportunity to meet Liz. And if I never would have had the opportunity to meet Liz, I never would have gotten to taste the actual sweet part of my life that God had intended for me. See, some of the things that we think are going to be awesome and sweet and phenomenal and just continue to fill us with everything we ever could have wanted because they taste so good and they're so awesome to experience in the moment can really be baking soda. And as soon as we actually get to taste what it's really all about, it's disgusting, it's gross, it's hard to deal with. But what God does is He takes a little bit of that. He takes a little bit of oil. He takes a little bit of the eggs. He takes a little bit of the molasses, depending on the cake you're being made into. And He combines it all with the sweet moments in your life, all the moments where you can tell, God loves me. And He combines it all into something great. 
If you want to take the analogy even further, you could say that the cross of Jesus is your, your stirring stick. But as you continue to live in this world, as you continue to live a part of this world that's full of sin, that's going to be full of all these, these junky moments, these moments that you don't understand why they have to happen until God shows you what He's doing with them, God's still gathering the ingredients to make your cake. God's still gathering the ingredients to form you into exactly what He had planned for you. And there's going to be opportunities where you get to lick the batter off the spoon, where you get to taste just a little bit of what God has planned for you. But until the day that His Son returns, God is still gathering the ingredients that He needs. I don't know about y'all, but when it comes to baking, I like to follow it to an exact T. You know, if it says half a cup and I'm a little bit over, I would much rather dump it all back into the bag and start over than, than have a little too much of whatever it's calling for. But God, He doesn't need that recipe because He knows exactly what it takes, and He'll just gather it all, and He'll throw exactly the amount that you need, and for everybody it's different. But God is going to use your experiences. He's going to use the love that He have and blend all of those together in order to show you something that you may have no idea is coming. And so what I encourage you to do as you leave today, as you think about the love that you need from God, is to understand that God may be using an experience in your life that to you looks like nothing but evil. To you makes you feel like there's no way God could love me for this. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm being so dumb. I'm, I'm making such terrible decisions. I'm the one who's causing this mess in my life. Or maybe it's because someone else is causing it in your life. For whatever reason it is that you may feel like God isn't loving you right now, I want you to pray and ask Him to just completely remove that from you because understand, God is working through all of those experiences, all the good ones, all the sweet ones, and all the horrific ones that you're going to have to walk through. And He's taking them, He's blending them all together in order to prepare you for the good that He has planned for you. So I encourage you this week to pray, to ask God to show you what that love that He has for you is. And if you're truly struggling and you're not sure where to go next, talk to your brothers and sisters here. Talk to those who God has called to love you and ask them to walk through your life with you to see if they can maybe help you see what God is doing. And if you're in a rough situation, trust that God may put someone in your life to call you out of it, to help you leave whatever junk you have in your life and to see what He's going to do with you next. The love that you need from God is unlike anything you've ever seen before. So continue to look for those sweet moments, but understand that no matter what, God is still with you, working in your life and helping you to grow in your faith in Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for all these opportunities that You've given to us, for all these chances You've, you've allowed us to see Your love, and even though sometimes when we look at them, they're horrible, they're frustrating, they're painful. They're things that we don't understand. Lord, you continue to work through them and, and eventually show us why they were necessary. God, we just ask you that if anyone in here is going through one of those times right now, one of those awful and horrible times, Lord, that you would just continue to work in them, that you'd surround them with the people that they need in order to help them find a way out, but also to find your love in that situation to see how you have equipped them, how you have prepared them, how you have filled them with everything that they need and continue to love them in spite of whatever else is going on. But God, if we're going through one of those sweet times, Lord, we just ask you to please continue to let us feel your love, 
that when the emotion may go away, that when the, the, the struggles may come back, Lord, that we would still remember that Your love is not less. Your love continues to be with us no matter what, that You showed us that on the cross. Lord God, as we're waiting to be made into the exact thing that You have and that You need for Your purpose, keep us strong in our faith. Help us to continue to love our brothers and sisters and to know that You are always there with us. In the name of Your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.